Hey everyone, and welcome to the Upstander Podcast with your hosts, Takudza Andrea, Thomas Kambadzi, and myself, Richard Green. Today we have a special guest, Marvin Arthur, to discuss mental health, trauma, and epigenetics. Let's go. Hello again, and welcome to the podcast. Uh, today we have a very special guest, Marvin Arthur uh, from Arthur Counseling. And today we have our hosts, TK and Thomas, Thomas Kambazi, uh, TK Takuza Andrea, and myself, Richard Green. Marvin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for making the time and joining us today for the show. Thank you. I appreciate uh, the invite. I'm honored to be here to uh, share with uh, you know everyone about you know mental health, trauma, and how it affects our community. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful and I'm grateful. I'm also humble to, to, to just share at this time. Welcome, Marvin. Glad to have you. We know that you are a registered social worker and a psychotherapist. Please just tell us a bit more about yourself, your background, and your path to where you are here today. Okay. So first of all, I'm a, I'm a child of the king. Um, I have uh, three kids, um, a husband of one wife, and uh, <laughs> I happen to sort of got into this field due to my passion for people, uh, no matter what you look like, people in a general, in, in a whole. So my background comes from um, social sciences, social work. Um, I went to school uh, in the I rise in New York University, did an undergrad in, in uh, social work for four years, and then went on to do my master's, uh, which I, I have right now. Um, I've worked for the past 14 years or so with uh, a local school board. Um, not sure if I should call out the name, but <laughs> a local board. Uh, and, and so um, what I'm involved with at the board is to support young people and their families who uh, uh, you know, are dealing with you know, whatever sort of issues that's preventing them from um, engaging in school. Um, and that can be from um, homelessness, that can be factors such as um, poverty, it can be learning issues, it can be mental health issues, behavioral issues, what have you. And I so, so I work with the school and families in terms of uh, re-engaging them into um, sort of an academic program um, that is, uh, is, is, is supportive uh, to their needs. Um, and I also have my own practice um, private practice where I, uh, support individuals, families, um, couples who are struggling with, uh, you know, relationship issues, social, emotional issues, depression, anxiety, um, stress, coping, any, any sort of, um, issues that are sort of intervening in, uh, you know, interrelationships and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and things like that. So, mm -hmm. so that's, that's where my passion lies. That's what I do for a living. And, and I enjoy doing it. I enjoy just being there for people and uh, supporting their needs in whatever, in whatever capacity I can. Thank you. Thank you for sharing a bit more of a background on uh, sort of your story and some of the uh, people you take care of. I heard uh, the schools and the families and homelessness and the mental issues and depression. There's a lot there. Um, with that being said, what are some of the challenges that you're coming across and what would you say that you enjoy the most about what it is that you do 
as a psychotherapist and as a counselor? So those sort of challenges, first of all, um, uh, that I see on a regular basis are those individuals who are marginalized and uh, disenfranchised who have equal access to um, supports, mental health supports in the community. Yeah, there are government funded resources. However, those, there are long wait lists. Um, and, and sometimes those programs are not um, sort of in line what uh, clients are looking for. Um, and so the need for, you know, branching out to private practitioners can be problematic uh, because first of all, the lack of uh, resources, funding out there to support that need. So, so my, my ideal, I, would, I should say, is that we should treat mental health just the same as we treat um, physical health, um, health in general, and how the government funds it through our healthcare system. It should be accessible to all um, so that people are not um, feel further marginalized and dis disenfranchised um, with not having equal access to the resource out there to, to meet their needs. And so that's, that's problematic. What I enjoy about it is that when I do, and I'm able to sit down with, whether it's young people, families, couples, uh, young children, is that being able to connect with them on a personal level, hearing their stories, listening to them, um, and, and just, just validating their stories to support whatever their goals are uh, and seeing the outcomes, which can be um, quite fulfilling as a, as a um, social worker slash, slash uh, psychotherapist. It sounds like one of the main requirements are for you to be a really good listener because I, I hear Indeed. a lot in there about listening and that's something that we need more of today. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's, that's very profound. Like I, like, as you said that, like, you know, I'm feeling my heart starting to like, <laughs> you know, pump a little bit more, um, because I can relate to it. Like, you know, just this past, um, this past January, I, um, I sort of had like, you know, uh, what I would call my first mental health, uh, challenge. Um, because, I was like, I took a medication um, called like apomethylquine, like it's a malaria medication. It has some side effects to it. And um, I took it when I was going back to Zimbabwe and I came back here, started like, you know, experiencing some, some weird, like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, side effects uh, as it relates to mental health. Like I was feeling like it was anxious a lot. Right. And like, you know, when I got to, to talk to a, to a psychotherapist or like to a, um, to just a therapist regular, like, um, the guy told me that it is a, it is a culmination of things. It's never is like, you know, one thing that you isolate and becomes like the sole thing that you can pinpoint and say, because of this, it's a, it's a combination of things, which leads me to my, to my next question, really, like, um, you know, it's not until recently, like where society has really brought awareness to this issue of mental health it's usually like brushed to the side like mm -hmm. or like you know it's just mental health like this is this like and dismissive pretty much what are some of the misconceptions uh when it comes to mental health so so <laughs> mental health uh when it comes to treatment for mental health uh there's still a huge stigma 
in certain communities, especially um, Afro-Canadian Black communities, um, whereby it's seen as a treatment that is not particularly familiar to our culture. And so that um, is considered, you know, sort of a North American or the quote unquote white way of doing things. Um, And in addition to that, the men are thought to be, you know, strong. Um, We don't show our weakness or emotions. And therefore, again, um, psychotherapy, talk therapy is sort of brushed aside because it's not something as a manly individual should say. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so that Mm. is a huge misconception which um, pushes us back in terms of the treatment that's available out out there in the community that's quite effective. Um, And so that's that's a problem, right? It's it's, it's a problem um, Mm -hmm. because, and, 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 and another important point as well, so if they're not seeking supports out in the community, what's happening then? So I think our folk are sort of brought up to believe that if you're having issues in the home, you take care of it in home, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of us are not equipped to deal with some of the stressors and some of the, the things that we deal with on a, on a day-to-day basis. Or at times we, we seek help from spiritual leaders and church leaders and things like that. We, we more do that. But in terms of a seeking out assistance with mental health from a professional who come with a different set of lens, um, different set of education and perspective, it's something that is all sort of seen as a stigma that we as a community don't necessarily uh, pursue because of some of the factors that I've previously mentioned. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's very deep. Like I, I, I keyed into something that you said, like, you know, ego, like um, ego become becomes some like, you know, like, a, like a, like something that prevents a person mm-hmm. from, from coming out, especially amongst men. Like we'd like to, to, to view it as I'm brush it aside. I'm never, <laughs> I'm never going to take care of this issue. Right. Um, and I feel like um, it's, um, it definitely is something that's um, that's affected a lot of us, um, a lot of people, uh, in that we don't know how to um, internalize what we're feeling, and we don't know what to what to do with those feelings. So I think it's a very profound, um, like you know, explanation of, um, of 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 what's really going on there. Like, which leads me to like you know this next point. Like you know, I feel like a lot of men actually deal with with issues like trauma, right? Um, like, you know, trauma that is, that is unaddressed, like that happens early on in life. For example, I can say for myself, one traumatic event that occurred in my life, um, was when I was five years old, um, my mom, uh, Mm -hmm. she, 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 she left, uh, Zimbabwe where I was, uh, where I'm originally from. And she came to Canada, uh, she came to America. Um, so like, she left, you know, going to school and, you know, attending school to seek a better life. But I remember the day that she left and I remember what she was wearing and I remember what I was wearing and I remember crying so hard and asking her not to leave. And I didn't see her for the next um, seven years, almost eight years. And that is a traumatic experience because uh, right now I'm in a relationship. My girlfriend, Rachel, uh, she, she recently left uh, for Senegal, like in January before COVID and everything. Right. And I remember like going through the same emotions, same feelings. Sugar of being, cup. 
Yeah, right. So mm -hmm. um, this is something that a lot of men, even today, like, you know, experience, right? You have certain traumas that took place in your life before that mm -hmm. you really don't have any, like, you know, resolution there. So uh, can you explain a little bit more, like, the link between, like, trauma that, ex that, I, that is experienced um, earlier on in life and mm -hmm. then trauma that had, like, you know, like mental health issues, sorry, that re resurface later on in life? Okay. All right. That's a, that's a good, good point. Uh, trauma is, is quite um, devastating to uh, communities. First of all, before I answer that question, I want to say trauma is everywhere. Right. Everyone at one point in your life has experienced trauma. You know, no one is sort of immune to trauma. It's everywhere. It's, it's, it permeates everywhere around us, right? It's, mm. it's just how we cope with it. So, so there's this um, PhD, Tara Brash, uh, had coined it this way. Trauma is when we have encountered an out-of-control, frightening experience that has dis disconnected us from all sense of resourcefulness or safety or coping or love. So that's, that's pretty profound. It, uh, it, it robs us of our resourcefulness. It impacts our nervous system, which affects our flight fight freeze um, responses, um, but it affects us in different ways. Um, and so each individual may respond to trauma in a different way. Some of us um, may be more hypersensitive, mm -hmm. right? Hyperactive, yeah. mm -hmm. right? And some of them, some of us may be more numb, numb right? Mm -hmm. And may, may be more, um, what should I say, maybe more uh, disconnected, withdrawn. Um, mm -hmm. So trauma affects us in different ways. Um, it's interesting to know that historical and intergeneration trauma in the black community, it's the epigenetic consequences of toxic stress and intergenerational trauma. Um, so what, what that means is that Trauma, the toxic trauma affects our DNA functions, mm -hmm. right? It affects our access to emotions and how we respond to people. So our interpersonal relationships, it may have long lasting effects on that. And if we experience that at an early age, right? There's this test, there's this research that was done in 1995, between 1995 and 1997 in the US, um, in, uh, I believe it's in California. And they researched around 1,700 people. I think most of them were white uh, from middle and upper class uh, communities. And they had this tool, this adverse uh, effect, uh, adverse childhood effect. Mm -hmm. It's called the ACE, ACE um, tool. And they have 10 questions. And for every question that you answered correctly, you got a point, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so the higher your adverse score was, your ACE score, there's potential that there's a link to further trauma, to wow. sorry, to further um, mental health issues, to further um, uh, health issues, wow. uh, cardiovascular issues. Um, the way how we cope in life, uh, the way how we mm -hmm. 
we respond to stressors in life. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are different realms in the way, as you know, we respond to trauma and we respond to triggers in our life. As I said to you, some of us are more hyperactive, yeah. mm -hmm. hypervigilant, right? Uh, Hyper-defensive, we're more aggressive, right? And that's on the high end. And on the low end, as I said to you, some of us up here that we don't care, we're unable to think, we freeze up, right? We're indifferent, we withdraw. Um, but the important note to know is that there are all adaptions the way how you adapt to a situation and I adapt to a situation is what keeps us safe. Right. Right. Some may be maladaptive, some may be adaptive. But it's important mm -hmm. for us to understand not the behavior, right? Not the behavior, but what's really going on. What does this person need? Right. And so that's what trauma does. We pay attention to what the core is, not necessarily the behavior for what the person is crying out and saying to us. Um, does that answer the question? That, that, um, that, that does, yeah. And, and, and I also want to add that there's another quote here by uh, Karen Sackvin. Uh, she's a PhD. She says, mm -hmm. everyone has a right to have a future that is not dictated by the past. Wow. So yes, we all have had experiences in our home, mm -hmm. childhood trauma, yeah. abuse, neglect, um, 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 witnessing parents who, have, who are alcoholics and they cope that way, that all has an impact or direct correlation to how we experience life or our lens in the future. Right. Wow. Um, Before you move on, Marvin, you mentioned the term intergenerational trauma. Right. Does, does it have anything to do with passing down the genes or is it something that a child is learned and absorbed by observation growing up by their environment and their parenting? So, so it's both learned, both from nurture, right? Uh, and also from our environment, mm. right? Uh, which gets passed on from generation to generation. It, it affects our DNA. It affects our ability to respond in an emotional way, right? It, it affects our ability to access emotion, mm. right? Um, so, and that's why I use um, epigenetics because it's something external to our gene pool. It's something, it's an external factor that has affected generations of black people. And you see there are some that respond in the hypervigilant way or some that are just numb to their experience, right? And so we, what we want is an optimum sort of response. Uh, we want to be in the middle. We don't want to be too high and we don't want to be too low. We want to be in an area where it's optimum, where we can think, process things, sit down and have a conversation before we react. We don't want to be reactive. But again, I'm not blaming the, the person. That's what they've learned. That's what's wow. been passed on. That's a survival skill. That's an adaptive skill, right? right. So okay. that's why we see what we see in our world today. And we'll get, get to some of that more in terms of what we're seeing with uh, the George Floyd situation and others who've been, uh, who've been treated unjustly in our society and why people are responding the way they are. 
because yeah, like, mm. because of epigenetics, because mm. of of uh, you know how we've learned how to respond as children and due to trauma and how that is so intergenerational. And what we see now, people are either fed up, frustrated, numb to their experience, right? Um, or there are some that are hyper vigilant, right? You know, they're super sensitive, they're highly reactive. And so, so that's what we're seeing today. As you're describing wow. this, um, I almost feel as if I've gone through those emotions especially since the George Floyd, whether it's I, I felt initially, you know, anger and reactive, and then I'm sort of still going through the motions. And I think a lot of us are still having a hard time processing, mm-hmm. you know, before the fact that we all collectively witnessed someone being brutally murdered yeah. in, in broad daylight and nothing was mm-hmm. done about it. You know, mm-hmm. we're all still trying to process exactly what's happening. Yeah. But in the same token, we're also a bit desensitized you know, I think of all the movies that I've watched, video games that I've played, and the amount of killings I've personally witnessed, but something stood out for that. And uh, I, I really do think that we're all experiencing trauma at different yep. levels, even now today. Right. Right. Wow. Wow. Like it, it, it really does come back full circle. I feel like, you know, some, some of the, I remember reading a report like from the CDC um, that was pointing out that, um, you know, Black males between the age of like 10 to 25 suffer uh, more than five times as many police-related non-fatal assaults um, as compared to like white males at the same age. Like, how does that come back full circle? Also, um, from like a psychotherapist's point of view, um, you know, especially with what's going on in the world today, you know, the protests, like, you know, George Floyd, um, all of that, like, what is your take on it? And, and how does that come back full circle, especially, you know, what you're saying, like, you know, the epi, uh, genet- genetics? epigenetics, yeah. epigenetics, yeah, mm-hmm. so it's, it, it's something that's deep rooted inside and how you're going to react is like, like, it, it has taken time to build up to that point. Um, so can, can, can you go deeper into that? Okay, so with respect to my viewpoint on what's going on with these young men, yeah. um, again, everyone has universal needs. We all, you have universal needs. Yeah. I have universal needs to be treated with respect, to have your story heard, to be validated and valued, to be empowered, right? To feel uh, that you have safe relationships around you that you can save trusting relationship. So if there are people that have suffered intergenerational trauma and they don't feel like their stories are being heard or valued, right? Historically, what happens, right? When there are triggers in society like the George, George Floyd situation, yeah. people are traumatized all over again. Um, because they feel like systems, again, are neglecting to understand their need, to understand anti-Black racism. Um, And so I can understand and appreciate what you see today. You see the looters, right? You see the rioters. And you see people are going about it in a peaceful manner, peaceful protest, right? But why are people looting? Again, remember I said ignore the behavior. Right. And understand what is going on. 
what is the adaption? Remember, it's a, it's a, it's a survival skill. Why are they looting? Mm-hmm. They're looting because perhaps throughout society, there's been a, a gap between the rich and the poor, right? Whereby, you know, because of their socioeconomic background, they can't provide or, or have some of the things that they see others have that they want. So you're gonna have the looters, right? Again, pay attention to the need and why they're doing it, the adaptive um, um, skill. What's happening? Um, um, why are they rioting? They want wow. to turn this thing upside down. Yeah. They're fed up. <laughs> yes, exactly. They're fed up. They're fed up of being abused, oppressed over mm-hmm. a year and, 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 you know, and decades, right? Yeah. So, so that's where you see rioters. And why are people protesting? Why are people? Because I believe this day is such a different day because you have a generation of people, what do they call them, Gen Z, that yeah. are, have different set of lens. Wow. They are more accepting of each other. Yes, yes. They grow up on social media. Yeah. So they're able to mobilize a lot quicker mm-hmm. and in a more efficient manner. Mm-hmm. So that's why you see this have gone out across the world to the masses. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I was looking at CNN. I think it was Syria or somewhere that I saw they drew. Yes. You're kidding. It's, it's, it's gone Syria. that far. It's, it's, wow. it's all over the world. And they wow. Drew, they drew a nice art piece of him, the mural on the wall of George Floyd, standing with George Floyd. So I can understand and appreciate why people feel lost, a sense of um, hopelessness and and wanting answers and wanting to Mm -hmm. come together to do something to fight back. It goes back to that fight, flight, freeze I spoke about. People are wanting to fight. But How do we help them mobilize? How do we join? Exactly. And not only not mm-hmm. only black folk, mm-hmm. because we're the we're the ones who've been oppressed. Mm-hmm. We don't have the power, but we need white folks, especially, to stand up with us because it's a human right. Exactly. I, I, and and that's a that's a profound point. Like I feel like, you know, it, it's coming back. It, it, it's something that has that has t- overtaken the world. And I don't think I don't think any of us like the very first few days would have thought that something that has started in America, something that started because of the murder of George Floyd in America, you would think it would only be protests like the previous ones just in that city, but it has gripped the entire world. It has gripped the entire world. And that is, that is something that is just amazing to be, to behold. I mean, the circumstances that had happened, like I, it's very sad, but at the mm-hmm. same time, you could see everybody is just fed up by it. And especially like, you know, amongst the black community, um, you can see that people like, you know, are, are not fearful anymore, especially the younger generation. Like you just mm-hmm. fed up about what has been going on. Like I had my own personal uh, police experience um, last year, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> last year in January, where like you know, I was sitting in a restaurant in the Gladiator Burger, and just like that, like four officers came into the into the establishment, and I it was like the Holy Spirit just told me. I know it was the Holy Spirit because I had a jacket. I was sitting sitting with my girlfriend right there. I had a jacket that was beside me, and the Holy Spirit told me, "Don't reach for your jacket." 
those officers are coming over here. I didn't know, like, this was mm. one of those situations where I was just like, what? So they come, they walk over, and then they go to the couple that is beside us. It was a black guy and, and, and a white lady. Um, they were older. And he turns to them, four white cops, the, the lead officer turns to them, and he's like, um, I need you to be calm. There's a situation here. At this time, I still had locks. I still had locks. I was wearing my Jordans, sweatpants, you know. So the officer now turns to me. All four of them unholster their guns. They unholster the wow. weapons. And they're pointed, pointing their weapons at me at this time. And they're like, we need you to get up. You're under arrest. Uh, you're being detained right now. Mm. Um, uh, just get up and follow, follow our lead. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? So I started asking questions. His buddy started getting aggressive. And I basically was just like in awe, in, in awe, sorry, uh, at what was going on. Mm-hmm. And they put my hands behind my back. They leave me in the corner of the restaurant. They're patting me down. So at this time, I'm asking, what did I do? My girlfriend is freaking out. Mm-hmm. And the officer's like, you're some, we got a call saying uh, you fit the description of somebody uh, who wow. has a gun, who has a gun in this restaurant. I tell him I didn't ever hold a gun officer. Mm-hmm. So it, I understand like the pain that a lot of people are going through right now because right. I got profiled, even though yep. I had never committed a crime in my life. Mm-hmm. I'd never held a gun in my entire life. But I got profiled to be somebody that is dangerous based on the color of my skin. Um, and I asked him later on, I was like, well, who gave you the information? He's like, well, don't worry about it. Like, we just got a call saying that, an anonymous call saying that mm. somebody in this restaurant has a gun. So it's, it's, very, um, it's very profound. I'm, I, I feel the pain of everybody that is in the streets. For sure. mm-hmm. Like, which, which leads me to my like, last question on this. Like, what, what, like what, what is the role of, of the church, especially with the injustices that are going on right now and the protests? Like, what is the position the church should take? What do you think? Again, it goes back to when someone feels, um, when you're experiencing trauma, right. you have a strong desire to be heard and validated. Mm-hmm. So in saying that, the church needs, first of all, to, when I say, when I, I'm going to use the word attunement, Mm-hmm. Right, um, and and not lip service attunement. Real attunement is getting to understand that person's lens, not sympathy, but empathy. Walking in that person's shoe, right? Providing a safe space where you can sit down with that individual who's affected, right? And getting to understand what is it, what is it that they they, they what is it that they need, right? Because young people or anyone know when someone is not being genuine and not into them. So that's, first of all, we want to become attuned with people who are experiencing trauma. Um, And we want them to understand that we value them. We value their self-worth. We want to listen to their stories. Um, We don't want to shame them. We don't want to blame them for whatever the issue is that they're going through. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But we want to build on their strengths as people, right? We want to build communities around them and support around as church, as a church, community yeah. of, of members around yeah. them. Um, whether it's, you know, the programs within the church that we can do more at AY or, um, you know, having um, platforms like this where young people or whoever it is, uh, young adults 
who feel like their voice is not being heard, they have a safe space to come and just have conversation about their you know, emotions. Absolutely. Um, um, and you want to um, you want to help them um, understand that you are there for them, and that you're not like anyone else uh, that's not listening or ignoring their their needs, but you're there for them. Um, and you want to refer them to if it's beyond your realm of uh, expertise, you refer them to mental health professionals. Um, so you want you want to look at the whole person, and I think. As a church, we can become more political instead of standing on the side. Um, I know of church recently have been more involved, uh, the North American division in terms of um, calling out um, what happened against George uh, Floyd. The Adventist um, church, that, sorry. Yep, the Adventist church, okay. sorry. Um, and, and I think the church as a whole, as a world church, need to do, become more political. Christ was political, I believe. He stood up for the woman who was caught in adultery. And what happened then? He said, those who have not sinned cast the first stone, right? right. So, so we have to be able to, so we can't say that we are Christians or followers of Christ and ignore what our black brothers and sisters are going through in the church. So we need to, to, to raise our voices. Right. We need to stand beside them. Uh, and we need to be upstanders, not bystanders. And actually, wow. um, become more um, active uh, in their plight. You know, Marvin, you mentioned something very interesting when you were giving us your take on what's happening in the States. And I don't know if everyone caught this, but you talked about how uh, something that's happening in the midst of all the rioting and everything is there's a, one of the factors is the gap between the rich and the poor and how um, this doesn't have an effect in the behaviors that we then see when uh, situations like what ha what's happening in the States. And, you know, that piqued my interest because I have a stat over here and this uh, statistic is from Canada and it mentions that um, Canadians in the lowest income group are three, time, three to four times more likely than those in the highest income, income group to report poor to fair mental health. Studies in various Canadian cities also indicate that between 23 and 67% of homeless people report having a mental illness. And this brought me to just think about, like, is there a relationship between someone's financial health and their mental health? Would you mind elaborating a little bit more on how unemployment or low income can affect a person's uh, mental health? Again, um, think about our historical factors, right? Think about where some of us are coming from. Think about how disadvantaged our communities have been. And so our only recourse sometimes is to react in a way that sometimes is not beneficial to us. Um, the plight, right, of, of, of Black individuals disadvantaged individuals is the responsibility of everyone, of, uh, of not only churches, but uh, governments, right? We need reformation, we need reform on, on um, certain policies. Um, when we look at welfare, is it, really, um, is it really helping people get out of poverty? Do we need to look at, you know, what some of the, inc the income that these people are making and they can they really live on whatever they're getting 
uh, per month? Or are we furthering the, the, the issue here? Um, uh, are we sort of um, addressing the mental health by providing the supports, more resources uh, for these people? Are we helping them uh, get into more um, professions um, that will be able to pay them a salary that's able to help them, you know, provide for themselves and their families. So there's a lot of things that, that we need to look at, not just slap a bandaid on and, and on on certain policies that we have created that I think have further, you know, marginalized these folks, and and we're not really educating them of how to get out of poverty. Um, how to get out of these situations. Um, and I think we need more accessible services that wrap around the individual, um, the, 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 the individual's mental needs. So in general, when someone goes out to an agency, um, perhaps the, the length of the, the, the service is maybe four to eight weeks, perhaps it's not long enough. And after that, is there someone following up with the individual? So we need to come up with a more wraparound sort of um, ideology of how we support these people and pump more resources into them. Um, and then I think we'll see change. But if we are just putting a bandaid on everything, um, I don't think we're gonna have substantial uh, systemic change. Um, that benefit disadvantaged communities. Wow. Thank you, Marvin, for sharing um, that light on, on this topic. But I guess the deeper question which I had behind the original question of the relationship between financial health and mental health is how did we get here? Like, why is there so many poor Black people? And the reason I'm not just saying this is a rhetorical question, but when you look at the statistics, there's an overrepresentation of black people in the low income group as compared to other ethnicities, given that black people only comprise 13% of the population in the U.S. Why is it that there are so much, so many of them being um, well represented in the low income group as compared to other uh, ethnicities? How, how did we get here? Well, again, I think we need to challenge systems. We need to, um, all of us need to check our sort of uh, implicit biases, right? Um, yeah. And to address some of the systems that fail disadvantaged youth and disadvantaged families and disadvantaged individuals and really come up with strategies, right? That will help people not just sort of um, half-heartedly sort of deal or manage their issues. Um, and if, if we don't do that, if we don't give people equal access to resources and we don't look at welfare reform, I think, you know, people will continue to uh, be disadvantaged, be in a position of where they can't, they feel like they're stuck in mud and they can't climb out of their situation. Um, because poverty as well, right, has an impact on our mental health and our mental well-being. Um, how are you able to focus on, on um, or, or, or be in a state where um, you're happy or be in a state where 
you, you can raise healthy families if you're concerned about putting food on the table. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. It just further um, exacerbates the problem. And I, I think we really need to, after seeing what's happening in the US, um, which we're not that far from, by the way, um, it may look different here, but the, we still have issues here with our systems. It's really, really think about how we can benefit the needs of disadvantaged people and pulling them out of that hole. Wow. So what I hear from what you're saying is we need to have systems reforms and I, it, it makes sense. But when I think of it uh, as a lay person, something like, like me, like anyone else listening to this podcast and thinking about how do I go about actually making change on a systems level when I'm just, when I'm just me, I, I, I don't want to feel helpless. I actually want to do something on a systems level about the, about bringing on those systems reforms. What are some of the practical things that I can do to um, feel like I'm contributing to the solution? Uh, we can vote. <laughs> that's, that's our strongest, that's one of the strongest things. Vote for people who, um, who are interested in our plight and interested in improving like our situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the biggest thing we can do. Um, join grassroots organizations um, mm -hmm. and, and, and bring people who, are, who may not look like us. You know, I have a lot of uh, white colleagues that understand um, our plight, understand our situation, and are willing to not only just stand by you, but actually um, work actively to support change. And so we need to, first of all, mobilize, understand what we're doing, um, mm -hmm. educate people and vote. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have a voice in this country, man. Absolutely. And in the US, we gotta vote. We gotta um, change things, right? We gotta, there needs to be both a revolution mm. and a reformation. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right? Absolutely. So yeah. if, if we want that, we have to vote. Yep. Um, those are very practical solutions. And uh, so how about more, uh, looking at it more from a personal level, not a systematic level, someone who's just like trying to do something to better their mental health and they are experiencing some of the things we've been talking about. They have experienced trauma. They have experienced systematic bias and they want to do something about their mental health to improve it. What are some of the practical, actionable things that they can do on a day-to-day -day basis in order to be able just to have a optimal mental health and uh, to be able to thrive? Mm -hmm. So what, men, what young people can do is, um, first of all, educate themselves on mental health um, and, and seek help when it's appropriate. Don't ignore their concerns. Um, uh, talk to a safe person in their family or friend circle. Um, um, seek out mentors. Um, the church, I think, in our church, we in our um, congregation, we had started a program where we had established mentors, mentoring the younger uh, men in our in our church. And yeah. I think that was quite helpful. Absolutely um, love it. Yeah. Uh, so things like that. Um, what practical things they can do, though, it's it's um, keep routines, right? Keep routines on a daily mm. basis. Um, it does really good for um, our nervous system. Um, mm. Exercise, uh, dance, sing, cook. You know, mm. get some support from the church. 
Um, and for some of us, being mindful, being mindful, being grounded. And I'm not talking about that spiritual realm, right? I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm talking about um, just being grounded, being aware of your, your surrounding, um, not multi-tasking, uh, but focusing on one thing at a time, um, going on a walk where you are just sort of uh, experiencing nature and being, yeah. being you know, just be, because God has created such a beautiful planet for us yeah. um, to cope. We can go out there and, and just bird watch. That's what mm-hmm. I've been doing since I've been off of this COVID thing, going in my backyard. There's this cardinal that visits every morning. I don't know what she's doing, but she sings this beautiful song. I don't know yeah. if she's just territorial or what, but it's, it's, it's pretty, to, pretty to listen to. And my dog yeah. comes out and we just, we just sit down and listen to her. Um, wow. I'm assuming she's a female because it's a pretty sound. But anyways, uh, yeah, just just um, our diet is important, our sleep hygiene. Um, mm-hmm. All those things are very important, but it's most important is young people want to be heard. Right. They feel like they're mm-hmm. not being heard. Mm-hmm. Then they're going to find a, an, a, another adaptive way, which can become a maladaptive way of coping, wow. which can lead them down to... Um, not a not so productive path, but we have to understand uh, why they're doing it, the need behind it, not the behavior. Wow. Thank you, Marvin, so much. Uh, learning a lot as you're just going through and breaking it down for us. You know, one of the things that um, you mentioned at the start of our conversation was about the stigma that's associated with mental health. You know, especially in the Black community, the Caribbean, the African community, we, we, we kind of brush it under the carpet. You know, as, as, a, as a local community and a worldwide community, how can we change our position and our attitudes and mental health to sort of break down the stigma? Because I know that there, there may be a lot of young people, especially who are in need of help and they know they need to talk to someone, but no one wants to be the crazy person or, you know, the, you know, the crazy sibling or, you know, the kid in school who's going to the counselor's office in the afternoon at certain times. And, you know, as you leave the classroom or your lunchtime, your friends see you, how do we uh, level the playing field? So we're not just pointing fingers at each other and, and making people feel uh, intimidated or, or less than worthy for, for seeking help. Right. I mean, I think when young people need to understand that when we seek out help, it's not because we're weak, but that's a sign of strength. Mm. When you go to someone else to ask for support, that is strength, absolute strength. Because first of all, you are finding, you are understanding that you need support, not because of you're weak, right? But because you know that there are people, loved ones out there who care about you, who can help steer you in the right direction, right? And if they can't, we need to talk about how we can get, get them to understand that professional help, uh, someone who practices psychotherapy, a social worker, a psychologist, whoever they be, they are coming from a place of uh, informed um, practice. They go to school many years to understand social science and, and mental health and things like that. So breaking it down to them, um, if, if you're comfortable with a young person, um, it's important for them to hear that message from you because they trust you. Um, yeah. There are organizations within schools, 
BSA, Black Student Associations. There are mentor group, their big brothers, big sisters, whatever it may be, wherever that young person feels comfortable, they need to have conversations to help them understand that seeking out assistance for mental health is a strength. Wow. Because first of all, you are able to find that strength within to ask for help. If it wasn't, if you are sort of, when you avoid, that means you are, are not able to access that strength within you to ask for the help. So asking for help is a sign of strength. Um, it's not a sign of weakness. Like, I, I feel like, you know, that's, that's such a big point because like more, more time, like um, what, what usually occurs is especially when I was going through my mental health issues, um, like, you know, I tried to explain it to my parents and my parents would just tell me, get over it, just get over it. Right. That's often some, one of the most destructive like words you can hear, especially if you're in the midst of a anxiety attack or, right. or, or, or like, you know, you're just feeling depressed. You're like, I'm trying to get over it, but you know, so I think the, the, the attitude and, you know, the position that we have to mm-hmm. have is very one that is, you know, like empathetic, like we have to, right. to exercise empathy. Yeah. I think that's a yeah. very good point. Yeah. And Marvin, one thing that uh, stood out for me when you're, when you're sharing with us was the idea of being an upstander versus mm. being a bystander. Can you just touch a little bit more on that and what we can do uh, to be upstanders in our community? Well, a, a bystander, we know what a bystander is, right? <laughs> when we see, um, and again, it goes back to our response, um, how we respond to certain triggers in our life right? Some of us freeze up, right? Some of us may fight. Some of us fl- flight, like we avoid, right? We run away, right? Bystanders sort of just stand and observe. We're not, the black community is not looking for someone to say to us, yes, I hear your, your plight. I hear what's been happening and I want to pray for you. We don't want to hear that, <laughs> right? Mm. We want to hear that your prayer is good, we appreciate the prayer, but we want you to actively work with us and work for us. Not only that, we are, we are the ones that have been oppressed. We are not the oppressors. So we need white folks to rally, to be with us, to be an upstander, to actually do a lot of the legwork because they're able to influence laws. They're able to influence change. And we need that. We need everybody. We need people who are empathetic. I don't care what you look like, right? Who you are. You know, Black people need to understand that. We need everybody. Because we cannot. We've tried doing this for the past 400 years on our own. And what did we get? We haven't reached anywhere, in my opinion, anyways. Um, But I feel that now is a time especially with social media and how it's out there in the masses and such a global thing right now, we have people who are willing to support, who are able not only to support, but to stand against this and to make things count by voting, voting for for those individuals who, uh, who is willing to create that change for us. Mm. And that's an upstander. Thank you. I, I love it. I love it. It's a, it's a great wow. title. And I think uh, that that should be the, the core focus of a lot more of our conversations. 
to try and tear down some of the stigmas and and some of the the triggers that we've we've been in, ingrained into our as we've heard today our DNA and intergenerationally. Mm-hmm. Um, Marvin, I'm, I'm sure you have a ton of resources at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the the practical resources you can share with us offhand that you've seen personally? impact the lives of uh, the mental health of some of the people you've you've been involved with okay so uh we have uh uh, cmha um it's a mental health um agency uh in uh the ontario area Uh, i think there's one in uh, toronto i think believe there's a site in mississauga as well um and they have a program for african canadian uh youth and their mental health and substance uh, abuse issue. I, I don't think we touched on substance abuse a lot yeah. today, but that's a huge factor too, in terms of, uh, again, we look at the behavior, but that's an adaptation, right? That's a uh, survival skill, whether wow. you know someone's smoking up, uh, someone's uh, on drugs, someone's using alcohol. It's, it's not because they wanna do it or they wanna be cool. A lot of times because that's an adaptation to their environment or to a trauma. So we need to understand not the, the behavior, but the need. What is it that you need, right? Um, because they're using that to survive, right? And so for me, in my work, and, and it takes someone with a certain lens to understand that we're not, you got to ignore the behavior. Understand the need behind the behavior. Um, and so... So you're saying that the, the behavior is really a symptom of the underlying need that's not... Underlying need, yeah, correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. correct. yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually but often, Yeah, but often yeah. we pay attention to the behavior. Um, for instance, in, you know, ch- children at school who are acting up. Um, uh, often there's, there's things happening in the home that's the underlying issue. And if we uh, listen to the kid and adhere to those challenges, then perhaps we can... Uh, address the core issue and, and hopefully the behavior dis- dissipates. Um, Black Legal uh, uh, Action Center, uh, that is um, a uh, legal services for Black youth and adults who, uh, who may not have the resources to address their need in court. Um, uh, and so that, that's a good resource as well. Um, Black Lives Matter, again, grassroots uh, organization that we can get involved with, with to become more informed um, if, that's, if that's something you would like to do. Um, and then there are organizations within universities uh, surrounding um, black, uh, black students and their needs. Um, there's also Black Health Alliances. Um, again, um, in terms of uh, health matters and, and resources around health, that's a good good uh, website to hit up as well. Okay. Um, so, and then uh, buyblacks.com. There's a lot of resources on there as well and a lot of uh, uh, information um, to keep us uh, informed in terms of what's happening in the Black community. Um, for instance, with the Black Lives Matter, I think they, that information was on their website as well, the one in Toronto. Um, so, so there's a lot of resources out there. Um, if people are wanting resources, they can always connect with either one of us or myself and, and be happy to share that with them. Yeah, we, we um, could uh, include the, the notes on the podcast mm-hmm. show notes for anyone who wants yep. access, access to that. Yeah. And um, 
we're getting to the end of our conversation here, Marvin. Is there anything that we haven't covered that uh, maybe you'd like to shed some light on or any advice yeah. or tips? Yeah, like or, a final word. Yeah. yeah, yeah final yeah, charge I, for us before we go ahead. Yeah. My, my final thing is that, uh, you know, my neighbor, I was speaking to my neighbor the other day and he just didn't understand white privilege. He just didn't get it. And so I had to break it down to him. And, and he says, well, that doesn't really exist here in Canada. And then I had to show him a few stats and, and things like that, um, just to break it down further for him. Mm-hmm. The fact that, you know, and, and the other terminology he didn't get as well as the Black Lives Matter, that all lives should matter. And I had to break that down as well to him. Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to reaffirm and to just reiterate is that this issue of injustice is not a homogeneous issue. In other words, it's not, yes, it's specific, it's our plight, it's specific to black folk, but if we don't address it, right? If we don't address it, then what will be the outcome of generations to come, right? What would be the outcome of black lives, right? Um, my 15, 16 year old son, what hurt me the most is that the issues that I have dealt with for the past 40 odd years of my life, now he is coming to terms of what this world is really like. So he's sort of, not only him, my, my, my two other kids as well, they are coming to become aware of what's happening around them in terms of black lives. And I feel like they're losing their innocence in, 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 uh, and it's, it's quite hurtful. So I want to challenge folk out there to understand that this is not a homogeneous issue. It's a heterogeneous um, factor or, or matter that all of us need to attend to, uh, to eradicate. Because I mean, I'm hopeful I'm only, I'm hopeful today, the, the only reason, because when this first happened with George Floyd, I was so angry, I was so frustrated, I was like, there we go again. Mm-hmm. And I had really ill feelings in my heart as a Christian that I shouldn't have yeah. to a particular yeah. group of people, which, um, Keep it real. which is right, which is normal, which yeah. is normal. Mm-hmm. If someone keeps oppressing you, you're going to push back and you're going to develop some emotions that you don't particularly uh, want to um, entertain. But that's the reality. And so when this George, George Floyd thing happened and how it shook up the world, how everybody is so woke now, right, on a global scale, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think the, the Gen Z, as we call them, uh, who, who will challenge their parents, right? They will challenge their parents yeah. in terms of their... Uh, oppressive and anti-black uh, racist ways uh, and challenge them. And hopefully that will help us going forward. Um, but I'm, I'm happy where it's going. It's unfortunate that this had to happen with George Floyd and others um, for people to finally wake up and understand what is going on around us. But I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that because it's on a global scale um, that people will, 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 make uh, significant movements and go out there and, and let their voice be heard by voting. Vote, vote, vote. <laughs> That's key. Thank you, Marvin, so much. Uh, again, we appreciate your time yes. and, and coming on here and breaking down 
uh, mental health and trauma and some of the issues facing the black community, especially here in Canada. Um, you know, would love to have you back on again. There's so many different topics we can talk about. They just briefly touched on addiction and substance abuse, which um, is, is a whole kettle of fish in itself that needs to be yeah. addressed. Um, but Marvin, how can anyone listening right now get in contact with you? They're listening and say, man, this guy understands me. He gets me. I need to, I need to talk to this guy. You know, how, how can they reach out to you? First of all, I've, I've, I, uh, should I say what church I go to? <laughs> what I belong to? I go to the wonderful church, Bronte Seventh Adventist Church, and I've had the pleasure to work with a lot, lot of young people there. So the young people there know they have access to me to speak to me about anything, um, free of charge, of course. <laughs> um, but I do have a, a private practice as well. Um, I have two offices in the Oakville location. You can go on my website, which is www arthurcounseling.ca that's a-r-t-h-u-r counseling with two l's.ca um you can uh, also find me on psychology today uh under marvin arthur um you can also find me on instagram arthur underscore counseling um or you can if you need to contact me you can email me at um marvin at arthurcounseling.ca um, that's Marvin at ArthurCounseling.ca, or you can call me on my on my cell. I'm always available. Or text me at six four seven two six eight five eight two zero. Thanks again, Marvin. We'll also link up your contact info in the show notes. And uh, much again, again, we appreciate your time, uh, your input, your wisdom, especially mm-hmm. as as a black man, the mental space, but also as as a black male who who's as you said, a child of God. I love that intro. Praise God, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Marvin. Yes, some tr- some bombs you dropped in there, and like I'm definitely sure that we're gonna uh, we're gonna see you again on the on the yes, show. Sir. And uh, we're going to get into some more deeper topics and uh, yes. very excited. Thank you again for taking time to, uh, to, to come uh, on the show with us and, and just talk. Appreciate yes, it. Sir. Thanks. Mm. Appreciate it. Honored. Thanks again for tuning in to the Upstander podcast. We hope that you were blessed and inspired to make a positive change. Please go ahead and like, share, and subscribe this podcast. And we hope to see you soon right here on the Upstander podcast. God bless you.